Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Whoa, whoa, slow down. Hey, hit the break. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Stop hovering, Mom. Stop doing everything, Mom. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. You get a zero. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to kids today they're just lazy and stare at their phones and don't do laundry hey everyone welcome to this episode of what fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood this is amy and this is margaret and today we are talking about getting our kids ready to be grown and flown amy grown and flown i'm closer than you to this you are much closer in fact you are in it because this topic was suggested by our friends at Grown and Flown, which is a Facebook group and an upcoming book. It's Lisa Heffernan and Mary Dell Harrington, and they have a book coming out called Grown and Flown, How to Support Your Teens, Stay Close as a Family, and Raise Independent Adults. And we, a lot of us don't have teens yet, Amy does, but uh, they define Grown and Flown, Amy, as from the time your kid gets his learner's permit to the time they get their first apartment. Oh, I'm in it. I'm soaking in it, Margaret. You're soaking in it. This is not just for parents of kids in high school. We want this topic, as usual, to be sort of ages and stages. So we're going to talk today about how you sort of start early, early and often. For sure, because, I mean, my my point with Grown and Flown is like this process, as you well know, your process of having an independent Grown and Flown child, you're you're really just in the beginning of it. You're just at the very start of the bell curve, right? Yes. But realistically, this obviously starts at childbirth. Like they hand you a completely dependent human being. And then there is a complete arcing process of getting that child ready to get out of the nest. For mama bird, you just shove them out on whatever day six. But for us, it takes a little bit longer. Right. I, well, just yesterday, I was with my rising high school junior in the car, and he has his learner's permit, and he's driving now with parental supervision. So I spent 45 minutes with him driving yesterday in the passenger seat. Gripping. Gripping. Finally, he was like, you keep reaching up. You know those, I don't know what they're for. They, they, they You reach your arm up. like a. I think they're to hang dry cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'm in the front seat. So yeah, it's like a thing, like an old fashioned streetcar. Like, uh, good morning. It's a handle to hold on when your teenager is learning to drive. That's what it is. That's right. That's, that's what it's there for. And I thought I was doing such a good job of not being like, whoa, 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 hit the brake. You know, I'm keeping it in control. And finally, he was like, you keep reaching up and grabbing that every time you think I should hit the brake. <laughs> oh, my mom had what we called fake brake. My mom, when we drove, had fake brake. She would slam the fake brake on her side of the car. Oh. she I mean, she wasn't wrong. We were terrible drivers. There's a story in my family of your that my grandmother, she of the tweet tweet, actually got a blood clot in her right calf from doing just that when she when she was the passenger in a uh, car trip to Florida. She developed a pain in her right leg, and it was from phantom braking. From fake brake. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I'm from a long line. But we're we're not going to start learning independence with our children, Amy, and listeners when they are 16, 17, 18. And we're definitely not going to learn it by calling their college professors and asking them why they got certain grades on certain things. Oh, I would never. And we're definitely not going to learn it by calling their bosses and telling them that they treated our child unfairly. Or by buying an apartment in a town where they're going to college or something like that. Yeah, no, we're not going to do any of those things. And Lisa would argue that very few people are really doing those things that like really when you actually pull out a lot of the crazy behaviors we hear about, it's a fairly low percentage of people. It's like 10%. It's not none. But it's that most people are, are, are pretty normal about that stuff. But I still think there's a lot of blurry lines along the way. So we want to talk about getting your kids to be independent adults. That's the goal. And I want to take the blame off moms a little bit, right? Because they're always like, stop hovering, mom. Stop doing everything, mom. But the point is, I think that kids of any age, there's nothing in it for them to seek to lose their dependence on us. I mean, there is when they want to stay out late or whatever, but there's no reason for them. Like just the other morning, my 11 year old was like, mom, I want peanut butter toast. And I said, okay, you can make it. And she was like, I don't know how to do it. I don't. And I said, yes, you do. And she's like, but I don't know where everything is. I'm like, because we're, we're in a vacation house. I'm like the peanut butter is over there. The toast is over there. The toast. But I, you, what happened? You can do it as I'm folding, you know, pool towels. It's just easier for her to have me do it. So of course she's going to bristle against I know how to make peanut butter toast because it's better for her if I do it. And the pernicious flip side, if I may, Amy, is that often it's easier for you to do it too. Absolutely. It's easier for you to do it than listen to her complain for 15 minutes that she doesn't know how to do it. Right. And so I think it is a bit of a quagmire to stay out of. I've used the words pernicious and quagmire so far on this podcast, Amy. I just want that noted. Do we need like a new sound effect? I do, yeah, a dictionary. <laughs> ten cent word. That's our new ten sound cent effect. word. Ding ding. Ten ding. cent word. Yes. So it's a hard quagmire to stay out of because it kind of fits both of you. Like it is a lot easier for me to do my ten, nine, and seven year olds' laundry than to convince them to do it through their moans and wails and gnashing of teeth and rending of garments that only the evilest parent would ask a child to do this yep. and then kind of supervise it and then have it come out terribly <laughs> and then have to go and clean up it later. Like all roads lead to like you, it just being easier for you to do everything for your kids, I think. Yeah. And so I do think it's something that we have to lean out from a bit. Right. We have to lean out from. And I, and also as somebody, I'm, I'm a kind of parent who likes things done a certain way. I mean, I'll get my kid, like (laughs) you set the table. I'll have my uh, 14 year old. Oh my gosh, he's 15. He's 15 now. He he is practically 
He's he's growing and flowing. He's taller than flowing. me. Flowing? No, he's growing and flying. He's not flowing. Yes, and he uh, he's he's entering high school. And if I ask him to set the table, he will with great you know caterwauling ten cent word. <laughs> well, we'll, Ding. I guess he'll manage to get the plates in the right place, but then he'll just sort of throw a pile of silverware in the middle of the table. Right. And then I'm like, put that at the plates. And then he's, oh, what? Doesn't even matter. Okay. Now where are the napkins? And then he's like, you know, ripping paper towels and throwing them at the table. Is it me that I'm like, no, no, set the table, but set the table the way a table should be set instead of. Okay. I, I'm going to say, Amy, I came in with a bit of a prejudice here when you started this topic because I know that you like things done a specific way. And I was sort of like, well, you got to kind of let that go. You got to let him do it. But like throwing silverware in the middle of the table is not setting the table. I mean, that's bonkers. Thank you. Thank you for the support. If you were saying like the knife is turned out from the plate instead of in from the plate, I would be like, you know what? I think as we go along this path, you have to let them like find their way. But throwing silver, that, that, as you would say, Amy, you get a zero. That's, <laughs> right. that's a zero. Thank you. All right. So, and he's probably testing me. I mean, he's not actually pretending he doesn't know how to put silverware next to the plates, but he's sort of saying, it doesn't matter. And I do think part of them being grown and flown is like, you should know that the fork goes over here and the knife goes over here. You should know not to pick the food out of your braces at the table. Like these are, these are life skills that you will need as you enter the world, how to not be a total caveman. Yeah. And I I do think that a good starting point is what are the skills we're working towards in general? Okay. I think what we're working towards, Amy, is like, what are the skills our kids need to have to be grown and flown? And are we okay. working on them from a young age? And so I have a list of skills from psychology today. Do you want to go through them? Sure. It's called, does your teen have this life skills, right? It's, this is this is a good list. Does your teen have these life skills? And I think you can keep asking yourself, does your seven-year-old have these life skills? And are we on the path? Like my, um, I don't know if anybody works with an IEP or like, you know, it's like they give you like, you will meet this goal by this age. And like that, how an IEP works is like, you are making satisfactory progress towards the goal, like every quarter. And like you keep checking in with the goal and it's like, are your, is your curve heading in the right way towards the goal? And I think this is what we need to be heading on our curve towards from a young age. Okay. Emotional and psychological skills, Amy. Okay. Identifying emotion, self-soothing, exhibiting self-control, maintaining control of behavior, tolerating uncomfortable feelings and delaying gratification. This is all very, um, uh, Stuart Schenker self-reg that we talk about all the time, like teaching our kids to self-regulate. And like, hi, by the way, still working on a lot of these myself. Sure. But I think this is the kind of thing that like we're all working on all the time. We're working on it with our two-year-old, right? It is okay to feel upset, but it is not okay to punch mommy in the face. Like we start working on this very, very early. The skills that you are working on with a two-year-old are the same skills, Amy, back me up because I don't have one, that you're basically working on with teenagers, right? Like, Well, yeah, in this, in this uh, setting the table interaction, like he is testing me a little bit, right? And I have to model like uh, that. You know that that's not what I need you to do. I need you to finish because I have dinner ready to, set, to put on the table as soon as you're finished setting it. 
Right. So you're working on both life skills right. and emotional skills, and I'm, right? I'm modeling, you know, calm um, persistence towards towards our shared goal. And he can huff and puff. That's fine as long as he sets the table and he doesn't, you know, say, I hate you in the middle of it, whatever. You can feel however you want. You can even put on a little bit of a show that I will choose to ignore, but you're going to keep it under control and you're going to be a member of a group. Amy, our next category is interpersonal relationship skills. These are social skills, manners. Yes. Carrying on a conversation with a person of any age. That's a skill that I feel like my parents were good at teaching us. Um, judging character, learning to speak up and stand up for a friend, keep secrets or refuse to keep secrets. We just did a whole episode about this. When should kids tell? Ignoring bad behavior, but confronting people who are out of line and really listen, admit fault, apologize and talk out conflicts. Do you make your kids? I think that you do, but let's talk about how they interact with uh, adults that they're meeting. Like, do you enforce, you shake hands, you you make eye contact, you say, hello, Mr. Abels? I do. And eye contact has been a big part of that for us lately. My Both of my boys have terrible eye contact when talking to people. And yeah, we work on that more and more. I feel like they were good at it when they were little. And now they're like preteens and they're terrible at it. There's a lot of like mumbling at their feet. And um we do this a lot in restaurants, like even fast food restaurants. Go order yourself. Look the person in the eye. Say please and thank you. Like these are just good. You're again, like it's so ages and stages. Obviously, you're not starting this with a teenager. Like, hey, before you go to your college interview, by the way, you have to look an adult in the eye when you talk to them. It's something you're doing their whole life. It's it's something that I mean, you make a good point that in 2019, we understand that eye contact is something that some kids are going to have a hard time with. And it doesn't make them bad kids or rude kids. It makes some kids who have a hard time with that. But again, to sort of succeed in the world, right, to go on a job interview, you have to be able to do it. You have to leave your comfort zone. And I have two kids who have problems with it. And I'm like, sorry, you got to figure that out. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you're going to have to. And it doesn't, you brought up an interesting point that I hadn't really considered, which is that some of this stuff is easier for six-year-olds than 15-year-olds, right? Like yeah. I, I have been enforcing this with my kids from a young age. My my husband is like completely despotic about this particular thing. Like you shake hands, you say hello, it's nice to meet you. And I'm glad he does. I'm glad like, you know, somebody should be doing it. So I'm glad it's his thing. But I am seeing, you're right, My um, one of my teenagers, shall I say, has a harder time with it now than he did 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm seeing that with my preteens. Suddenly, this is a skill that's going out the window. So again, it's back to one. We're resetting. We're like, we're back to that. Yeah. Amy, let's talk about romantic and intimate relationship skills, because this is not as much ages and stages. This comes along later. Yeah. I haven't been dealing with this yet, but this is something that like to really be able to function on your own, I think teens need to really have these skills. Distinguish between love and infatuation. Learn to ask someone to dance. Navigate romantic feelings. Break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Cope with rejection. Say no. And control the urge to advance physical relationships too quickly. Hmm. This is something that we're still in the dawning of the age of Aquarius of this stuff in our house, even with two high schoolers. And it's so different these days because so much of the courtship interaction and everything else takes place online. Yeah. But I also feel like we have talked about this. This is still ages and stages. This is 
that person has told you they don't want to be tickled and you're yes. still tickling them. Yes, you're right. That is unacceptable. That person does not have a gun and you're shooting them with Nerf bullets in the face. That is not okay. When someone tells you no, you respect that. And by the way, person on the other side of it, don't say no if you don't mean it because this is a thing that is going on between two people. So like if you start screaming, stop, the game is going to end because stop means stop. So like you are starting to navigate this stuff with like friend. We did an episode on friend breakups. Like a lot of this stuff comes up before it's about sex. Just this last year, one of my kids went to a dance, had asked a girl again, like um, the whole like meeting the girl, asking the girl, deciding they were going to go to the dance happened online. I don't think they'd ever actually maybe they maybe met once before they were going to the dance together. This had been decided, you know, by people's sisters and whatever. So anyway, it was time for the dance and we had to talk our kid through. You have to go buy some flowers. He went and bought the flowers. You're going to hand them to her. You're going to tell her how pretty she looks. Make sure you say that right away. You're going to shake hands with the you know parent if they're there. And, and this was a moment where I saw my kid really look to me. We're assuming that this is always stuff they don't want to hear from us. This was a particular moment where I could see in my kid's eyes like, I don't help. Where I'm like, help me through this one, mama. Right. You do this and then you do this and then you do this. And we weren't there which was, I'm sure, to his great relief, we didn't get to see it, see it all happen. But he really wanted me to coach him through, this is how you, this is what's expected of me. And, you know, it all worked out. So sometimes they want to hear from us. Imagine that. Yeah, it's nice to know. It's nice to know. <laughs> all right, Amy, we're going to take a break and we will be back with Lisa Heffernan from Grown and Flown. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. 
Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Today, I am talking to Lisa Heffernan, who, along with Mary Dell Harrington, is the author of the book, Grown and Flown, How to Support Your Teen, Stay Close as a Family, and Raise Independent Adults. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Independent adults. That's where we're heading, right? That's the big goal for all of us. So you talk in the book about how grown and flown, that stage you define as being between getting a learner's permit and getting their first apartment for our kids. Exactly. For most families, this is a very long transition. We call it grown and flown, but it doesn't mean your kid is gone by any means. And as many of your readers will know, they, they go, they come, they go, they come. So the, the leaving process is really long. But we call the grown and flown period the period from when your oldest first starts to learn to drive till your youngest has their own apartment. It's a very long period. If you have multiple children, this can be a decade or more where your family is transitioning from all of you living at home in the same place together to the kids all living independent lives. And for many families, this is a big change. And it's a change we perhaps haven't prepared for. And it's a learning process for all of us. We say this all the time in the podcast. Like I would say, if, if you're not helping your kids find independence, walking around your town, being out and about, going to the snack bar by themselves with money and getting change when they're little, you're not going to be ready to put them in a car and send them off to college. Like this is a process that we have to be preparing for from the time they're little. Agree or disagree? Agree completely. I see it as sort of one long handoff where at the moment that the nurse hands you or the doctor hands you a baby, you have 100% control to the point at which you have virtually 0% control. I mean, we have some persuasion with our adult children, but only that. And it's just a transition where we give them more and more and more independence every day, every year, and we take less and less control. But it's interesting what you said about college, because many people see that as a point well, 18 years old, they've gone to college, they're off. We still have an enormous amount of influence and interaction in their lives. It's a very rare 18-year-old who is fully paying for college entirely on their own knows how to get a car fixed, knows everything about auto insurance. You know, there are a lot of things 18-year-olds are still in the process of learning. So it's a long, long transition. I mean, I feel like now there's this kind of story that is out there, which is like crazy moms trying to control their kids. And like, do you know this mom called the college professor? Which obviously happens. I've heard the story firsthand. I know that this happens. But Amy says this all the time. It's like, you're a helicopter mom. You're too involved. Oh, but you're if you're not hands-off, like they're not going to get everything they need. And like, how do you start finding that balance with yeah. younger kids and and how do you set them up for success in that way of, okay, you don't want to control their every move. That's crazy. You're a helicopter mom, bad job. But at the same time, we're kind of told that their destiny is kind of in our hands. And if we kind of blow it, they're going to end up lost and confused and it's somehow going to be all, all our fault. Well, first of all, it can't possibly all be our fault. <laughs> no? I'm not having that. <laughs> I, I mean, we couldn't agree more, but you exactly. know, that's kind of the like 3 a.m. story in your head of like, am I setting them up for the right success? And is that even possible to set them up for success? And there's got to be some ways we can 
scaffold and support our kids without taking this whole burden on ourselves of like, I better call the college professor and go pick up their laundry. Yeah. I think we need to be really careful with the paradigm of the helicopter parents. So I'm going to push back on the conventional wisdom here. There are helicopter parents. There is behavior that crosses a line which disables your kids rather than enabling them. But most parents are not helicopter parents. And being involved in your kid's life does not make you a helicopter parent. And doing things, nice things for your kids, making your kids lunch, you know, getting them a coffee when they're rushing off to school in, you know, 10th or 11th grade, that does not make you a helicopter parent. That makes you a loving, loving, supportive parent. So let's just talk about this a little bit. The New York Times did a survey last year, which came out in March, about all these horrific behaviors that parents engaged in, from calling exactly what you said, calling the college, helping them get a job by overstepping a line, talking, calling a boss. One of the things they asked is, have you right. ever called this your kids a classic boss? One, right. Well, many of these, these behaviors that we hear about so much, between 5 and 10% of parents engaged in. And the story said, oh my God, can you believe this? I kind of took that the other way around. So most of us have a pretty good idea of when we're doing something that disables our kid. Lisa Demore, who's I imagine you uh, you all have read, who's an yes. expert on teens and girls, particularly in adolescence, talks about the fact that kids should be stressed. In other words, they should be doing things that are just a little bit beyond their abilities, but not stressed to the point in which they're disabled. So we should always be giving them something to do this just a little bit harder. Like you said, the snack bar, or maybe it's, you know, we live in, we live in suburban New York. Maybe it's when they're 16, taking a train into New York, when you know they're with a group of friends and you know, they're coming back and you know, it's a daytime thing, you know, each sort of step of independence along the way should stress them a tiny bit, just be a little bit beyond of what they've done before. But what I hear is parents being concerned about doing things for their kids that are just the loving things that families do for each other. You know, because you make your 14-year-old's lunch for school, that doesn't mean your 14-year-old can't make their lunch. That doesn't mean they're not independent. It means you're a mom and you're trying to make life a little bit easier for your kid. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And it's something that's been really lost in the helicopter parent debate and that it can really feel to moms like every path is kind of the wrong path. And that's right. It's great to remind people that you have a pretty good internal compass. We all know that feeling of like, "Eh, I I kind of have gone off on the wrong road here. You talk in the book about um, like a list of questions, kind of thinking about whether or not your teen is ready to go off to college. And like, that really struck me as like good guideposts for people who are trying to get there again. Like, okay, so you've got maybe my kids at home, you know, a fifth grader, a third grader, first grader, like. What are the skills that you're trying to build or you're trying to help reinforce in that push-pull of like, how much am I controlling and how much am I kind of letting them find their own way? So we asked a bunch of experts, what makes a kid ready to go to college? Because this is something, as you say, in middle school and high school, parents want to be thinking about. This isn't something to consider, you know, at the end of 12th grade. Right. This is our rallying cry, guys. Exactly. You don't start thinking about this no. when you've got a 16-year-old. You've got to start thinking about it earlier. And some of the things I think are really, really interesting for kids at a younger age. So one of them was, when your kid faces disappointment, what do they do? Do they engage in destructive behaviors. In the case of high school kids, are they likely to drink? Are they likely to lash out at somebody? Are they likely to start an argument? Do they behave destructively when something has disappointed them? Or do they go for a run? Do they turn on the music? Do they play a video game? 
do they have ways to what we would have called with babies almost self-soothe? In other words, are their behaviors constructed? Because they are going to have disappointments. They're going to have setbacks. They're going to get terrible grades. They're going to have a friend dump them. They're going to have a romantic interest dump them. Bad things, disappointing things will happen in college. Do they know how to cope with them? So that was one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting to think about. And that is definitely something you start working out Mm -hmm. with your middle schooler or even your elementary schools. Do you have a constructive form of behavior? One of my kids, Mm -hmm. like straight to the video game. And I always felt like, video games. And then I thought, you know what? Video games are fine. If that's what you need to distract yourself and move on, that is not a destructive form of behavior. That is a constructive form of behavior. For many kids, it's it's music or television or just chatting with a friend. And what is the mom's role in that though? I mean, you're, you're observing what their behaviors are. Does the mom have a role in helping them reshape? Yes. So moms have a role in teaching kids what causes them to feel safe and what causes them to feel rejuvenated. So when your kid is stressed, let's just say, let's talk about school. So stress school can be very stressful for kids at any age. When your kid comes home from school and they've had a really stressful day, a lot of work, they haven't done well in something, they're feeling for some reason overwhelmed. Do they lash out at their younger sibling? Do they take a smack at their youngest sibling? Do they start a fight with their younger sibling? Do they pick an argument Sometimes with Sometimes they do, yes. Of course they do. <laughs> Or do they just turn on their favorite TV show, watch it for an hour, chill, relax? Do they turn on their favorite music? Do they kick a ball? You can have a role in saying, I can see you had a really tough day. I can see that this project is really overwhelming you. I can see that this teacher is really annoying you. Why don't you X? Because when I see you kick a ball, when I see you listen to music, when I see you watch that silly TV show you love, I see you relax I see you put it behind you. I see you regather yourself and be able to move on. Sometimes I feel that they can't see the thing that rejuvenates them this way, but you can because we're an outsider and also we're an adult. So you can always suggest those forms of behavior. We can try, instead of coming home and starting a fight with their younger sibling, we can say, you know, you're not really angry at him or her. She didn't do anything. You're angry at your day. So let's find a way to get over that day and to move on. So we can be very helpful at a very young age with that. My mom was a therapist, but she, in talking to me at some point, she said, like, it's very hard when you're in a car without a speedometer to tell how fast you're going. And so it's easier for me to sit on the side of the road and say, you're going too fast because I'm still and you're in motion. And I, I think of that metaphor all the time with my kids. Like the other thing that does, it sets up a language for you with your six, seven, eight year old that I can see really well playing out when the calls from college or jobs or other places come in, that like you have a dialogue that you're returning to. Exactly. Another thing that experts told us it's super important when kids first get to college and one of the big problems they see is self-care. So parents are inclined as their kids are getting ready to go to college to teach them how to do the laundry or to teach them how to cook or frankly to teach them a lot of skills that I think you can learn on YouTube. I sent three kids off to college actually not knowing how to do laundry. I just kind (laughs) of, I missed that memo and they called me when they were in front of the washing machine and asked me questions and it all worked out. (laughs) My roommate in college was like, you don't put all the colors in at the same time. Exactly. So my, my rule of thumb is anything they can learn on YouTube, you could teach them if you want to teach them, but they've got YouTube. This is a different world. They're not going to college in the world we went to college. What they do need to learn is what they can't learn on YouTube, which is, how to feed themselves well. So again, if your kid comes home from school and their reflexes 
always to, to grab the junkiest piece of food in the house, that's a habit they're going to want to break. If they don't understand how much sleep their body needs, some kids listen to their body and when they're tired, they right. go to sleep. Other kids seem to resist it and they resist it when they're two and they resist it when they're 13. That's what creates problems in college. That's the kid who gets sick in college. That's the kid who gets stressed in college. That's the kid that winds up with mono in college because they haven't slept enough. So there's a lot involved with self-care that isn't on YouTube that are habits that kids need to learn from a very early age so that they then thrive when they're on their own, how to take care of them when they're sick, how to listen to their body to think, you know what, this is just a little sore throat, I'm okay, versus this is really bad. I wonder if I have strep. I think I should go to the doctor. Those are the kinds of things we need to teach them while they're living with us. Mm, that's really interesting. I would have never thought about it, but it's a great point. Like you kind of focus on like the lists of like, do you know how to make a bed? Do you know how not to like get lost in the city? But like really underlining the stuff of like, do you know how to take care of yourself? Really interesting point. Yeah. And that starts very, very early that, you know, that's with a 10 year old talking about the way they eat, how they eat, when they eat, that sort of thing. Yeah. Are there things that we're doing wrong in this area? So we're, we're not blaming anybody. We're not giving anybody a hard time, but are there patterns that you see that you in the research for the book have been like, mm, people should try to stop doing this? I would actually almost turn this on the head on their head. We're so worried we're doing things wrong and we are doing things so right. This is what I feel parents don't know. This is the best behaved generation in history. And they are being brought up by one of the worst behaved generations in history. So everything we know about teenagers today and high school kids and college kids, they drink less than we did. They have sex later than we did. They have more protected sex than we did, which means when you put those two things together, they have fewer unwanted pregnancies. Their drug use is down. Cigarette use has collapsed. So let's pat ourselves on the back for a minute. We're doing a pretty good job with this generation. They are cautious. They wear seatbelts. They're a more tolerant generation of people who are different from them in every single way. And they will be, um, they think Gen Z, millennials were the most educated generation in history. They think Gen Z will be the most educated. So they have not dropped out of high school in greater numbers, and they have gone on to post-high school education in greater numbers. So for a moment, I think we deserve a round of applause. Hooray. Good job, us. Because we've actually done, we worry more that we've done a bad job, but we've done a really, really good job. So before we start with what we've done wrong, let's just put that on the table with what we've done right. I think that's right. I mean, we, we talk a lot this, about this in terms of safety and like all the things that people worry about now. It's like, we're doing fine. We're good. We're doing great. Exactly. The kids are all right. And, and the proof is in the, in the eating. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is out there. When they look at high school and college kids, they are already seeing such better behavior than we ever saw. So the only thing that I think that we can tend towards Research tells us that authoritarian parenting is really, really unsuccessful. So when we dictate to our kids rather than having a conversation with them, that does not mean that you don't have hard and fast rules. I had hard and fast rules in my family. Everybody has values that are immutable in their family and what they hold dear and those are the rules. But that conversation that you really want to start now and have going for a lifetime is something you really need to sow the seeds with. So what we're finding about young adults now and college kids now is they like us more than we liked our parents. They talk to us more. They talk to us about more important things. They will talk to us about their money, their career, their ambitions. 
we see it we see a huge change between the generations and what we really see is an enormous change with boys boys are more likely to talk to their parents about personal and deeply held important things than they did in any other generation that starts young that constant talking conversing that all starts young so if there's anything we're doing wrong it would be you know dictating things to our kids rather than having a conversation with them mostly i think parents get this right that's interesting it's a great takeaway and it's something that we've talked about a lot is this idea of like holding things less tightly and just worrying less about all of this minutia because at the end of the day we're living in extremely rare air where like these kids are really thriving and doing well and i think it's great feedback for people to know like you got this the data is overwhelming that they're thriving and doing well but you also talk about and i thought it was an interesting point like establishing a culture within your home that plays out from the stress basically that stress is like I'm proud of you. How are you? Are you happy? Are you doing well versus like, what'd you get on the test? And are you getting prepared for the next step of life? And are your athletics, you know, top drawer and setting up a culture that kind of moves away from that? Yeah. The the tendency, because we can, you know, log on and see their grades and because, you know, oh, the portal, Amy could do 45 minutes on the portal. Exactly. We did do a little section on the portal. Yes. Between the portal the tracking software, the fact that, you know, everything about their sports team is online. There's an ability for us to ramp up the pressure at home. And we have to remember, throw ourselves back to what you know, I talked about a moment ago, throw yourself back to being 12 years old or 13 years old. Our homes were our havens. Our homes have to continue to be our havens. It has to be the place where kids come home, they rest, they recharge, they get a break. If they come home and hear the same thing from us, they heard all day at school, you know, how are you ranked in your class? You know, what grade did you get? What score did you get? There's no break. You know, we can barely stand the pressure that, that our emails bombard us all day from work when we're home. How are we expected to handle that when you're 11 years old? So we have to do everything we can to make home a haven from the pressures that our kids are enduring. Guys, listen to me. Reject the portal. Reject the portal. That is my advice. Strong. That is not coming from Lisa. That is coming from me. You, I've never opened the portal and I never plan to. Reject the portal. We talk about the portal in the book because it comes up a lot and it's a source. That and tracking software are hugely contentious. Oh, yeah. The tracking software, guys, is like, you know, you can know where your kid is at all times. Also bonkers. Exactly. You know exactly where they are. And, you know, our parents had no idea where we were and there, there was some benefit to that. The way we come out on the portal in the book is exactly what you say. Turn the portal off. Make a deal with your kid. These are my expectations. This is what we, you and I know that you can accomplish in school. As long as you're doing that, the portal is shut. So as long as you are doing your work, trying your best and telling me the truth, the portal is shut. If I see that you are not doing your best, if I see that you are telling me some sort of lies, because God knows many of us lied to our parents about our grades and got away with it. <laughs> no, never. Uh, yes, we did. I never told them the S for satisfactory stood for stupendous. Exactly. Then the portal is opened. So you have a contract with your kid. It's shut. I don't log in. I don't look. You tell me how school's going. And you tell me if there's a problem. As long as you tell me how it's going and you tell me if there's a problem, we're good. I love it. And then keep the portal off. If there's a problem, exactly. open it up, work it out. Then we got another problem. Exactly. I like this idea. We're all doing well, guys. The kids are going to grow and they're going to 
fly. It doesn't rhyme anymore. That's no good. They're going to be grown and flown. And Lisa, tell us about grown and flown, the book, where we can find you and where we can find the book. The book is everywhere. So in all the normal places you buy a book, Amazon, your local bookseller, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get books, um, the book is there. Grown and Flown is a site for parents. We find that parents start reading us in middle school when they have middle school kids. Good idea, parents. Because we start, our content really starts with ninth grade. Um, And so many seventh and eighth grade parents are, you know, looking ahead as we parents do. We are also a Facebook group, which is a very large ongoing conversation about every aspect of parenting teens. It's called Grown and Flown Parents. We have about 115,000 parents maybe, and we talk about every topic there you can imagine, which parents find really, really helpful because they can't always talk about the topics that are important to them with people that they know in real life. Life gets sticky once your kids become teens, and it's nice to know that whatever your kid's going through, other people's kids are going through. But you can find us online at Grown and Flown. It's that simple. Awesome. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you like food TV, you'll just love Food TV Junior, offering a range of programming that covers the topics kids care about most. Tune in tonight when our programming kicks off with Why Are These Foods Touching? The bees are touching my bread. I'm not eating that. Why are these foods touching? You make me eat this, I will cry. At 7.30, we bring you our beloved classic, That Looks Weird. Is that something green? That looks weird! Why did you make this? Are you trying to torture me? Immediately followed by back-to-back episodes of all sorts of chicken nuggets. Yay, chicken nuggets! 
And don't forget to tune in Saturday for an all-day marathon of That's Not How Liam's Mom Makes It. She doesn't make that weird brown part on top. That looks really gross. Not gonna eat that. Food TV Junior, where kids come to eat. That smells like vomit. Can I just have a sandwich instead? Okay, we're back. I thought that interview was really interesting. You know what I think is interesting is like, Lisa just really has that perspective about this kind of real pushing back on the idea that like, I always feel like the topic of grown and flown is like, stop hovering moms. You're crazy. Stop calling. Exactly. And she really has a perspective of like, your kids need a lot of support at this age. And that is perfectly fine and reasonable. So, you know, this idea that they go to college and we're supposed to stop hovering. I mean, I agree with that, but it's also different than certainly for our parents and even for a lot of us that you grew up and you went to college in town. Going away to college was rare. And if you went away to college, you came home on the weekends because it was maybe an hour away. And and that then you move back in with your parents because you can't afford a house. Like this is this sort of like middle medium adulthood stage is kind of new. Right. And that it's a recent phenomenon that at 18, you're expected to like fly out of the nest and be completely on your own and do fine. You know, I do think that there is some cleaving now that needs to be underscored about like, hey, we, we invest a lot in our kids, a lot more than probably my grandparents' generation did in terms of like, you are this extension of myself and I am looking to self-actualize you in the world and cultivate your life and make sure it all turns out fine. And so I think that the process of being like, you are now on your own and I am not as involved as before is hard. So it is good to underscore that for people. But I think the idea of like being the still person for your child who is in crazy motion is like, that's the touchstone for me. Like you have the ability to be the rock because they are in flight. And it's like, if you need to land for a couple minutes, I'll be here. I might even like make you breakfast and get you a Frappuccino or whatever. Like I am the nest. And like, unlike the baby bird metaphor, which is like, you're supposed to push them out and let them fly. It's like, they can also land again and take a break for a while. And that's okay. And that doesn't mean you're like failing the test of like, are you a terrible helicopter parent? It reminds me of how you're supposed to help a toddler separate from you when you go to, I don't know, when you go to nursery school for the first time, they tell you you're supposed to, did you guys have to sit on little chairs around the edge, you know, of a play group or a preschool? Like you, you're there first, you're in the room and then you're in the hallway. Anyway, the way that they, this is for like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, little kids, they see that you're there so they can go walk away and play in the truck corner for a little while. And then they turn around and they come back and they show you something and then they leave again. Like they leave and come back. They leave and come back. They do that before they leave and stay from, you know, three hours plus nap time without you being there. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we think of this as a binary choice between like kicking them out of the nest or you're the person calling their college professor to complain about their grade. And like, there's a lot in between there and there's a lot of like good stuff in between there. And listen, I didn't get married until my late thirties and I spent a lot of my thirties calling my dad once from a highway in the fourth lane in Los Angeles when I had broken down to be like, my car is broken down. And my dad responded, why are you calling me? I am in New York. Call AAA, you know. I was to some degree like dependent on my parents. I mean, my mom passed away two years ago, like, and I still go to pick up the phone and be like, mom, I need to know what to do. You know, like I, 
this idea that you have to be completely non-dependent on your parents, I I think is unrealistic. And I think it's something that we just set up in our minds. We do have to set up a little bit. I saw Jonathan Holloway speak. He used to be the dean of Yale College. Now he's the provost of Northwestern University. And so... Provost is a 10-cent word. A 10-cent word. And he was talking about sort of kids today and this whole thing. And like, are they over-dependent? And he said they are less resilient. I like that he was sort of, he didn't blame the parents. He said, you know, I'm not sure why. I think there's a lot of reasons. But he sort of blamed it on the immediacy and lack of mediation that social media provides. Like, I would have called my dad if I was broken down on the side of the highway, too. I wouldn't have called him from the dining hall to ask if I like chickpeas, but something about texting is so immediate and so available and easy that, I mean, we couldn't have called, I couldn't have called my dad about that because hello, I was in the dining hall and I didn't have a cell phone. There's no such thing. You see what I'm saying? Like when, when your parent is always a text away, they tend to use it more and more and more. And that's why the, uh, the bond is getting more mm, sticky. Yeah. And I also think one of the revelations for me of this book is like, there's always kids today stuff, you know, like my dad started working early and like, it's like the hardest working person on earth. And his dad was like, this kid's got no work ethic. You know, like, it's like everyone (laughs) always thinks that the next generation is going to be this unbelievable mess because they can't function because they don't actually know the value of hard work. And there's a lot of kids today who like, I sit around with my nieces and nephews, they've traveled like crazy, you know, just because the world is a much more open place and they're college kids. But like, my nieces and nephews like sit around and talk about stuff that I don't understand. They're so much smarter than I was at their age. They're so much like more open to the world. I mean, it doesn't all have to be like kids today. They're just lazy and stare at their phones and don't do laundry. But they also, the other point that Jonathan Holloway made in this talk is that freshman year of college, and I would argue freshman year of high school too, is a very safe place for kids to fail in safe ways. I don't mean get F's in every class. I mean, they didn't have to study in middle school and now they got a a C in biology and they're freaking out. That is a not even an okay thing to happen. It's a good thing to happen. Like, believe me, because I'm in this high school thing now. It's okay. Grades are important. I keep hearing that, but I've also am hearing that colleges actually like to see grades get like a little better from freshman year to junior year. Jonathan Holloway was arguing like, we got this, like, let your kid get in trouble in the dorm. You know, they're not going to go stab somebody. I'm not saying that, but like the kind of trouble that a typical 18 year old will get into because they, you know, put too much soap in the washing machine or whatever are things that colleges can handle or high schools can contain. And we need to not sort of snowplow. We were talking about the snowplow parents. We need to not prevent those things from happening before they occur. Yeah, I mean, I do think that, that that's a huge takeaway, which is like, and this is the same thing, like I just started letting my 10-year-old walk into town with money and buy pizza for lunch. And then he sits down, he eats his pizza, and then he walks home. It's, you know, not far. It's easy to do. But I'm like, well, but what if he forgets the money or what if he this or what if that? It's like, what if? Like, there's very little consequences to this. So, like, let him try. Like, you have to fail at some things. It's going to go badly sometimes. But, like, you've got to kind of push yourself a little bit at all ages and stages to say, like, are we working towards skills? 
Amy, can I finish my skill list? Sure. How about financial skills? I will say before leaving home, teens need to practice budgeting, managing money, balancing a checkbook, saving for emergencies and maintaining bank accounts. I went off to college with zero financial information at all to the point that I was almost arrested because I wrote so many bad checks to the grocery store because I did not understand. I did not understand what a checkbook was. I thought it was like a credit card. This is an old deluxe alert. Back in my day, this is like 100,000 old deluxe alerts in, in one. Right. People don't really use checkbooks anymore. But in the day, I didn't have a credit card. I had a bank account with a checkbook and I would write a check for my groceries. But if I had like $200 in my account, I would write a check for $350 and give it to them. I did not realize that I thought it was just like, then your balance is negative 150 until you have the money to get it back in. That's that's a crime, actually. It's called writing a hot check. You're not allowed to write a check for more money than you have. I had no idea this was true. For the record, my dad works in law enforcement. And when he heard this story, he like, he could, his head exploded. Like he sat me down. He was like, do you know what I do for a living? Like you have to stop writing bad checks. And I was like, well, I didn't think it was a bad check. I just thought it was like, I owe you the rest when I have it. This might be something that our kids are safe. Like you can't Venmo somebody money you don't have, right? But there's credit cards. This one made me think like, by the way, it's fine if they don't have some of these skills. I never did a load of laundry until I left for college. I was also the third kid in three years. And I think by the time I came around, my mom was a little bit like, I don't have time to teach you to do laundry. And I remember my college roommate getting really, really mad at me because I washed clothes all together, blacks and whites all together. And one of her shirts was in there and she was like yelling at me, like, how could you wash my clothes like this? And I was like, I don't understand laundry. (laughs) And I did just figure it out on the fly. Well, yeah, that was a safe place for you to fail, except for your roommate's shirt. But even there, okay, like life lesson, I need to... Don't wash roomie's shirt. Right. Either not wash your stuff or or do stuff more carefully. Can I give you a Rachel Martin quote? She wrote a um, really good article for Your Teen Mag called The Perfect Present Fostering Teen Independence. And she tells a story about every year for your kid's birthday, giving them a, you know, metaphorical or actual box that contains some new freedom they're going to get to have. And I'm not necessarily advocating for that. I think it's an interesting idea. But she says, you need to release your children to those things at which you know they can succeed. Like your your 10-year-old son, he's like, what am I walking to town by myself with money in my pocket and buying pizza and walking home like he feels like he's on a crazy tightrope and you're like okay okay hot shot i've done this with my kids like my 12 year old was having some friends over and they wanted snacks and his first friend who came i'm like okay here's money walk down to the market you know it's just two blocks away in new york city and they were like what <laughs> you have you've 30 dollars. you can buy up to 30 dollars worth of snacks go ahead go together it was like I was sending them a Cabo for the week. They were so excited. And yet I knew that there was really, there was really no real danger to them and they were excited about it. So it's the perfect opportunity when you can let out the rope a little bit and have them feel like it's this crazy risk they're taking when you know actually they're going to be fine. Finding those moments are so helpful. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, that's obviously the crux to all of it. And I think that one thing that I am just starting to struggle with my seven, nine and 10 year old. And this is like the edge of like telling them scary stories about the real world, basically, as they start doing this, like, do they understand like 
sometimes people steal your money. Sometimes, we, you know, it's like my kids are pretty sheltered. And like, I feel like a big flip side of this is like, and this is something I struggle with when I went to college. I'd grown up in like the kind of, you know, idyllic suburbs and went to school in New York City. And I was like, kind of not ready for some of the deep end stuff about like, the dangers out there. And that's something else I think about as I start like entering into this phase of like pre grown and flown, like you have to kind of know about some of the bad too, kind of the wolves in the jungle a little Mm -hmm. bit. There are no wolves in the jungle, Mm -hmm. but so it's a bad metaphor. My kids, Um, my kids, uh, we live in New York city and my kids definitely know. know. And there's, there's, you know, there's plenty of homeless people in our neighborhood and It's something that they're used to. And I'm not saying all homeless people are mentally ill or a little bit dangerous, but a couple are. And my kids know, my kids have learned because we've talked about it. Like, here's how to tell if somebody is just friendly, lonely, kooky, or maybe somebody you need to get in a store to get away from. Yeah. And those are skills I think that are hard to, it's hard to teach that in the abstract. Mm -hmm. Um, Rounding on our list, Amy, are academic skills. All of our kids have those. I'm not that worried about those. Domestic skills, laundry, cleaning. Again, you can figure those out on the fly. Self-care skills. I I think, you know, we were talking about a little bit on the Facebook page, like taking a shower, taking baths, figuring that out. I love this. I want to go back to this, um, the domestic skills, because it lists emergencies like a clogged toilet are skills necessary to build before teens move out. Hello. I never thought of that. I'm going to totally have a symposium. I think some of those, like you'll figure it out. I once um, was living in an apartment. I was in my 20s and I uh, turned the burner on to make pasta and then I turned the oven on to make garlic bread and I was leaning against the oven and chatting with the person I was living with and the whole oven exploded and blew me across the room because again, oldie locks alert, but I I had to light the pilot light on the oven back in my day. And uh, so it filled with gas and hit the burner and exploded. And I called my mom to tell her what happened. I was fine. But I mean, I did explode part of the kitchen and I was like, I've never heard of a pilot light. I didn't know what that was. And she's like, she was like really upset. And I was like, mom, I'm fine. Don't be upset. And she was like, it just makes me worried. What else? You don't know that I don't know about. And that's the problem. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. Yeah. I mean, I guess nobody taught me how to unclog a toilet. I learned. You figure it out eventually. I walked through fire and figured it out. One thing that I thought was interesting on this list, and I talk about it in the Grown and Flown book, never thought about it before. And it's changed a little bit, even the way I'm talking to my younger kids, medical care skills. Like really talking about like how to take care of yourself when you're away from the house. Like- Am I sick? Am I sick enough to need to go to the doctor? Do I know how to check my temperature? Do I know like which over the counter medicines? I was like, that's a really interesting thing that I hadn't thought about a lot. And one thing is if you're going to college or even if you're going to the armed forces or somewhere else, even at 18, there's still a lot of support around medical skills. But I do think it's interesting. And it's something I've started to talk to my kids about, like, how sick are you? Are you so sick you need to see? Like my kids still do the thing of like, we go somewhere and they throw up and I'm like, you must have been feeling sick an hour ago. Like, why didn't you tell me? Like, if you're like starting to get in touch and I think for it's also goes along with eating. Like, how are you eating? You know, like, are you eating when you're hungry? Are you having a healthy relationship with food? And like, I, I think those discussions are interesting to start early too. My 15 year old just came back from three weeks at sleepaway camp and he was like delivered back to me with the most like wet, hacky, like he clearly felt terrible. And I asked him, had you been to the infirmary? Oh, I went once. 
what did she give me? I don't know. And then, you know, then eventually it turned out she'd given him some allergy medicine. It didn't work. And then I said, well, you have to take it every day. But this was a grown and flown opportunity. Like I couldn't believe he was walking around as sick as he was, but he didn't self-advocate. And so there's, yeah, that's a perfect example of, yeah, that's a kid who needs to be told like when you feel this way, and this is a kid who gets that thing, you know, different kids have their thing. He gets the thing. I have one kid who's prone to the ear infection. My kid is migraines and it starts with his eye bothering him and like, yes, walking that process back to like, because it ends in vomiting. And I'm like, you should not tell us that you're feeling bad when you start vomiting. Yes. You should, you need, we need to help you figure out how to trace what is the very first sign of a migraine. Because then if we give you migraine medication, you can have a productive day. But if you don't tell us until you're vomiting, then we're done for the day. Now you have to lie in a dark room by yourself. Like, again, like that's the kind of advocating. And listen, a lot of our kids have health stuff going on. Like teaching your kid how to advocate for their own health is something I would have never thought of before reading this book. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting point. And again, I think a lot of this stuff you're kind of doing by default. We're doing it with the migraines already. I hadn't read the book. And I was like, we need to back up when you're telling us that you're feeling sick. But interesting point. And it seems to me that you can apply that because I also have a migraine kid and they the aura, they call it, and everybody's got their thing like, "Uh oh, this is going to be a problem that our kids, when they're grown and flown, need to have that, okay, I'm walking into the party. I'm going to honor that something's not right here. People seem really drunk or, you know, what, whatever it is that like, I'm, I'm in a situation, right? This person is driving kind of too fast and I probably shouldn't be in the car with this person to honor that spidey sense as soon as you have it and not, but it'll probably be fine, but I shouldn't speak up, but I don't self-advocate, but my mom's not here to take care of it for me. And you've hit on the exact good news and the bad news about this whole thing, which is like, you're already doing it. A lot of this stuff, like a lot of these lessons you're teaching them and like they build and they grow, but like find, as you said, grown and flown opportunities, whether that's like, let me help you identify this feeling early and learn to respect this, or let me introduce you to this mystery tool we have in the house called the dishwasher. (laughs) <laughs> and like, whichever they are, you just have to keep putting stuff in their path and, and helping them get grown and flown. Amy, I think we solved it. All right. We solved it. We solved it. I'm glad because I'm in this. <laughs> Our kids are ready. Our kids are ready. I'm sending my kids to college next month. They're fine. They're ready to go. We're going to skip junior and senior year. It's all set. Get out of here. Uh, Guys, I want to thank our guest, Lisa Hefferton, who, along with Mary Dell Harrington, is the author of the book Grown and Flown, How to Support Your Teen, Stay Close as a Family, and Raise Independent Adults. That book is out now. And guys, you can find it wherever books are sold. Yeah. We'll also have a link to it in our show notes, which are in your app right now, or you can go to our website, whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. We'll have a link to the book. We'll also have a link to this great Psychology Today article on what life skills your teen should have and some of the other things we've talked about today. And you can always come to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast, or join our Facebook group. We would love to have you join the discussions that all of the podcast fans are having there about grown and flown and other topics. And we're on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast, and we're on Twitter at WFHpodcast. Okay, guys, that's it for us this week. We will talk to you next time. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.